tuned in to the cold, hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmarlroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. How are you guys doing? I hope everyone is well. Um, does it look like we're going to get a little bit of rain today? I think it's possible. It is Friday, February the 26th. This is the last Friday of the month, folks. And lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff is going on um, in the country. Two announcements today. In terms of uh, new people running for political office, 
So we got that to get excited about. We've got Sammy Jackson, who's going to be joining us here in a little bit, talking about the cost of living. I think Alric will jump into the conversation a bit later on. He had his first meeting last night. Uh, we'll hear a little bit about how that went. Lots of meetings last night, by the way. Um, we certainly couldn't cover them all, but we were very much aware of all of the meetings that were happening. So thank you guys so much for logging on. We've got Ervalyn, first one to pull the trigger on us this morning. How are you, my dear Ervalyn? Good morning to you. Good morning to the beautiful Morna, Lisette, Buenos Dias. Good morning. How are you? Marshall joining us from North Carolina. How are you doing? How is the weather? Give us some weather updates. Good morning to Miss Corrine. She says, happy Friday and have a wonderful weekend. And I do want to remind you guys this weekend, uh, there's a couple events that are going on that you will certainly want to attend. So get your calendars ready. I'm going to tell you about um, the Red Sky at Night, for example, is on Saturday. Always a fantastic event. Olivia, how are you, my dear? Thank you for joining us. Hey, Louie. Louis says, TGIF, I've got my hot tea for my tea time with CMR. And Louie, I've got my water. I'm hoping for tea kettle soon. Um, I think I have one that I should be getting in the next couple of days. I had to order. <laughs> I had to end up ordering a tea kettle. I know that sounds crazy, but um, the options in Cayman were kind of slim. And given that my last kettle only lasted a month, and the store doesn't have any more of that one, I decided, well, let me just get a kettle. Raining in West Bay, but not too hard. Thanks, Corrine, for that weather update. Yeah, I can see even in Savannah, Lower Valley area, it looks like we're in for a little bit of rain this morning. 45 degrees in North Carolina, folks. Just chilly enough to put on a nice jacket or to stay inside. 66 degrees in Richmond, Texas. Good morning, Miss Joy. Um, Ervalyn says she's great and drinking from her CMR mug. Beautiful. Elvia, buenos dias. She says, buenos dias. Dios te bendiga siempre. So that means good morning. God be with you always. See, the rain has started. I hear some pitter-patter on my roof. Good morning, Louie. Let me see if my camera's working. I feel like my camera is not working this morning. This camera is so temperamental at times. Let me try it again. It just doesn't want to turn on this morning. <laughs> well, you're going to have to just look at that mug shot because this camera is like, I'm not turning on today. I've restarted it a couple times. There we go. I think I just heard it kick into the computer. It makes a slightly different noise when the computer's recognizing it. So Louis says, in a pinch, you can always fill up your CMR mug and throw, in, throw it in the microwave for one and a half minutes. Beautiful. There we go. Woo. Miss Anne says, morning cafe with CMR in St. Petersburg. Shout out to Miss Anne. 
You guys know that I lived in Florida, Tampa specifically for many, many years. So St. Pete is about mm, 45 minute drive from depending on where you are in Tampa, across the bridge. We used to go to St. Pete sometimes on the weekend, uh, go to the different shopping centers and stuff there and just do something a little bit different. So good morning to Miss Ann. Andy joining us. Good morning, Andy. So nice to see you. Good morning to Miss Lily. Now, if you guys want some home-picked, grown everything, um, pesticide-free, fresh veggies, please check out Miss Lily. She often has tomatoes from her home farm. Uh, she has um, peppers, seasoned peppers, hot peppers. So give her a jingle, folks, because she has a little... Um, vegetable and fresh fruit stand and she'll deliver for you as well. So Morna says I'm drinking my coffee in my regular cup because I'm still waiting on my CMR mug. Girl, you just got a, out of quarantine. Ooh, it's a rainy day. You just got out of quarantine. So I'm going to make sure that you're good for a couple days out of quarantine before I come and see you. <laughs> uh, but yes, you definitely need to get a mug. Sanya, you need to get a mug as well. So what have we got going on in the world of news? I was watching this morning a little snippet of an interview with, um, I know that we don't get to do a whole lot of international news anymore because boy, the Cayman tea is hot right now in the middle of an election season. But um, we, I saw an interview with Prince, uh, well, I guess he's no longer a prince. Is he still a prince? Prince Harry? Do we still refer to him as prince? I know he's been stripped of all the royal um, accolades and titles and even his military stripes and everything, like they've taken everything from him. But um, Harry did an interview uh, recently and there were clips of that that was actually being shown. Um, so, Uh, he talked a little bit about Megan life without the Royals in the U S um, he seems so much happier. Like, honestly, he just seems a lot happier. Like a ton of weight had been li lifted off of him uh, in terms of local, other local news. Like I said, there were several meetings last night. Alric Lindsay had a meeting in South sound. Um, Sabrina Turner had a meeting in uh, prospects. So if you guys missed those, please go to our website. Those two were live streamed. And there was also several meetings in West Bay. So Catherine Wilkes had a meeting. I heard that was very well received and very well attended. And um, I think the other meeting was Ralston with Makiva on his platform. So I guess Ralston is running with the CDP is how that obviously appears. And um, I didn't get much in the way of feedback on that meeting. I heard <laughs> this didn't make me pause someone said to me that the vast majority of the audience were actually women. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe that was like a stage situation where Makiva's like, bring all the women in because they're accusing me of being a woman beater because I beat a woman. Uh, so let's show a strong force of, you know, women will come to this meeting. The cheap ploys are... Aye, aye, aye. I mean, we can only hope the people West Bay someday smarten up, but I don't know. 
They, they're drinking a different kind of Kool-Aid, I think, than the rest of us. You know, you guys are here sipping the truth and they're there sipping something else. But here was a um, someone sent me a screenshot from that meeting. Uh, apparently they were live streaming it on some platform or something as well. And that's what they had. All of nine people work in the live stream. Um, and like I said, on our platform, we had two dual streams going at the same time. Not ideal, but we're trying to give you guys as much coverage of the election as possible. So, of course, you know, we got to do what we got to do. So we were simulcasting both Alwick's meeting and Sabrina's meeting. So do go check it out. Here's a little screenshot of our simulcast. Two separate meetings, both on the CMR page. I saw some people commenting that they were um, going to be um, flipping from one to the next, you know, because they wanted to keep up with both of these candidates. So congratulations to all the candidates, really, who've thrown their ring in the hat. Uh, we're going to pull Sammy in, in just a second here. So good morning to Barbara. Um, Lily says that she's also waiting on her mug. So Lily, uh, message me on WhatsApp a little bit later on. I'll see if I can get to you and Miss um, Morna today and Sanya. So good morning, Jeffrey, joining us from Kingston, Jamaica. Felicia is here. Thank you so much, Felicia, for logging in this morning as well. Yes, Sanya, don't worry. I got you on my mug list. Good morning, Larry. Larry says that coffee just tastes better in a CMR mug. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, Ervalyn says they treat that boy, Harry, like he's not theirs, but I guess he's been happier. Best of luck to them. Yeah, you know, um, as in life, sometimes you just have to um, forge your own path and do what you got to do. So not always easy, but oftentimes you're happier for it. You're happier for following what's in your heart. Jeffrey, we do have a YouTube channel and we're back on YouTube. So definitely check us out. We actually have at the moment uh, just six people on YouTube and another 90 plus here. You know, Facebook always has the most people viewing the platform. Um. YouTube and Cayman, eh, it hasn't um, it hasn't quite taken off. I think as much as um, other locations around the world. So you know, there are YouTube um, influencers and so forth that literally have millions of followers. We have a couple thousand on YouTube, and I think that it's just one of those things where platforms develop differently in the Cayman Islands. So we have 2.2 thousand on YouTube, so definitely um, do check us out. Subscribe to the channel. You'll get notifications of when we go live. We try to do like all of our morning live shows and stuff um, to YouTube, so you can check that out. All right, good folks. What else we got going on? I'll put the link, by the way, um, here. But most of the stuff we live stream right on Facebook. So you guys remember yesterday, um, there was a little bit of action 
in town with police making um, some arrests. We haven't heard a whole lot of details about that, but we believe that it is related to a drug offense based on what our street sources were telling us. The police have not yet said anything official, but they had something like seven or eight uh, vehicles, police vehicles. There was a drug task force. There was like two undercover cars. I'm like, whoa, helicopter was up. That's how I first became aware of it because I was at court. And when I saw the helicopter hovering over that area for quite some time, I'm like, ooh, something's going on. The helicopter only comes out for very specific things. And one of the things they come out for is when they're actually looking for someone. So uh, given the amount of time that the helicopter was up, I immediately knew that they were looking for someone. And I thought, hmm. And then I went in the coffee shop and I got a phone call to say, Sandy, on uh, Mary Street and Macfield Lane, something's going down right now. And I literally handed the young ladies, hey, Sam, from Bluestone, I handed her my laptop and I said, Sam, I will be right back. And I jumped in my car and ran up the street to live stream what was happening for you guys to get all the news. So, um, Shirley, good morning. Shirley says, good morning, Sandy. Thanks for being the only constant source of real-time information that we have. I'm so grateful. You're most welcome. You are most welcome. Like I said, I'm jumping in cars and chasing down. Well, I'm not chasing down the criminals now. Don't get me wrong. I'm not about that life, but I'll chase on the police who's chasing down the criminals. And there was lots of police presence um, in the area as they were doing that. So hats off to the RCIPS. You know, sometimes they take their licks from us here, but I know the vast majority of the force is really um, doing a good job and they're doing their best. Um, so the YouTube channel, Jeffrey, let me just put the link right there. There you go. Like and subscribe to it. So you go to, all you have to do is go to YouTube and search for Kiman Mall Road and it'll pop right up. Yes, that's right, Lily. Hey, Donovan, our brother from East End, how you doing? So um, we're going to be talking to Sammy here in a little bit. Uh, Samuel, Sammy Jackson, I want to give you guys the proper names because when you go to the ballot box on April the 14th, you're going to see names and it will say Samuel. Sometimes I think they put like, if it's a, um, I don't know if they, they'll put Sammy in brackets or something because most people know him as Sammy Jackson, right? But um, just so you don't get confused, Samuel Jackson, all candidates have until um, 10 o'clock this morning to actually um, uh, until 10 o'clock this morning to actually um, register their interests. So that's a procedure that has to be done. So let us just remind everyone of what your obligations are in relation to that, folks, because it is a legal obligation. In other words, you do not have a choice, right? The Commission for Standards in Public Life advises all electoral candidates that it's now accepting declarations. In accordance with the Standards in Public Life Act, all candidates seeking election for public office must submit a complete Standards in Public Life Schedule 1 declaration form before filing nomination papers on Monday, March 1, 2021. To facilitate a smooth and expedient verification process, the Commission is requesting submission by 10 a.m. Friday, February 26, 2021. 
To access the declaration form and more information, visit www.standardsinpubliclifecommission.ky or call the Commission office at 244-3685. So folks, if you're running for public office, um, you have until 10 o'clock this morning to submit that because the Publics for Standard Life um, Commission and staff need to do certain things in order to get you ready for nomination day. So nomination day, of course, is on Monday, March the 1st. Uh, We will be covering, again, some of the um, candidates who are uh, paying their $1,000 and officially getting nominated. So this is when it gets serious, folks, because there's some people we hear rumblings of, um, for example, in um, Bodden Town, everybody's wondering, well, what's going on with Chris Saunders? We've not heard anyone coming out against Chris Saunders as yet. And what we have heard, folks, um, is that evidently um, the person's name that I am hearing is Maxine Bodden. Now, again, this is, I'm going to put it in the category of speculation, not confirmation, but it seems like it's probably a very likely scenario um, simply because she has ran before, right? Remember, she ran in the last election. She's an attorney at law at Maples and Calder. Um, a lot of people feel very um, unusual about um, how can I put this? People who work for big law firms actually getting involved in politics because they always feel like maybe those individuals are going to be looking out for the interest of, um, you know, big business sort of thing more so than anyone else. So, um, let, you know, we'll, we'll see if she actually does come out, but that's what we've heard so far. She ran in the same district last time as well. That's why I think that this is a very believable, uh, rumor. And, um, you know, it's it's certainly incredibly, incredibly interesting to hear that she would be doing so again. Eh. Do I think she's any real competition for Chris Saunders? Probably not. Let's be honest here. What ends up happening with a lot of these candidates who do not get elected is uh, during the next four years, they do nothing to, to um, endear themselves to the people. Who has heard of Maxine since the last election? Where has she been? What has she done? Nothing. She's been sitting in her corporate office at Maples working and making her coins. Nothing wrong with that. But if you want people to believe that you're all about service um, to the community, most people in this country expect a little bit more uh, than that. And, um, you know, that just hasn't happened with Maxine. So I was, when I first heard her name, I thought to myself, well, that's interesting, but peculiar because where has she been? Hey, Richie, how you doing? Thank you so much. Good morning to Donovan, Darlene, Sammy, Samuel, AKA Sammy Jackson is also an attorney at law. We got a lot of lawyers in the Cayman Islands and, um, a few of them are uh, throwing their hat in the ring this time around. Um, it's interesting that lawyers and polit- politics, like the legal profession, politics seems to go hand in hand, not just 
here in the Cayman Islands, but I dare say all over the world, really. I wonder well, it, why that is. Well, I mean, if, if you look at the, you core, is, yeah. the core function of, of um, a member of parliament is to pass legislation, make laws. Um, so it naturally um, falls a stands a reason that the people who are, who would be generally more adept at that would be people who are trained in the reading of law and the interpretation of law. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a it's a sort of natural organic um, relationship between lawyer and lawmaker. Um, and many lawyers the world over have transitioned into um, being um, very competent legislators. That doesn't mean that folks who aren't lawyers can't be legislators. I'm not suggesting that. You, mm -hmm. you need common sense around the table too. And yeah. and um, <laughs> and and sometimes that's not a great supply in, in the legal industry. Yes. Um, and and let's face it, there's a lot of lawyers who are qualified as attorneys at law in the Cayman Islands who mm -hmm. don't actually do a lot of um, of actual domestic work where they meet face to face with people, um, take it, their instructions, give them advice based on their situation, research the, the, the local legislation. A lot of it is um, about setting up um, special purpose vehicles, doing that sort of institutional business that makes the big bucks. Mm -hmm. That, that hasn't been my, my thing. Um, I've been on the ground advising regular folks. I mean, I have a wide range of clientele. Thankfully, over the years, I've been fortunate. I've worked for 27 years nearly now um, in the mm -hmm. legal industry, first for, for um, the public sector in the legal department. Um, before that, I spent, I did my articles in the judicial department primarily, but I worked in a number of government departments, including the police, registrar of births, deaths, marriages, companies, registrar of lands, um, department of labor, um, uh, just to name a few, legal department, obviously. And then okay. when I qualified, um, after spending a couple of months as a deputy clerk of court, I, I then made the move to become Crown Counsel. Mm. That's how I started my career. I left there in 98, moved on to um, the, into the private sector and did um, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. That's how I built my private practice, including divorces, which um, is, is a particularly stressful area, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, but after a while, I started to then refocus as I had at towards the end of my um, career in the civil service, focus on development and planning and all of the related stuff, infrastructure, environmental issues, those sorts of things. And But over the years, um, as we, all of us, you know, um, solo practitioners and, and small local firms who, ha who know a lot of folks because of our local connections, I, what I've done is, you know, meet probably thousands of folks now um, who have a wide range of problems, legal issues, and giving them advice. That gives you the kind of background I believe you need um, to be a, a legislator. Mm -hmm. and, and and that certainly has given me a a broad perspective of the wide range of problems confronting this this country because mm -hmm. oftentimes when folks come in the door and they have a problem and you you look at the the, the relevant legislation you look at the case law and you have to go back to them and say unfortunately mr so and so or mrs so and so i i can't help you because the state of the law is such that 
it doesn't address your particular problem or it's or you're on the wrong side of you know of of jurisprudence so to speak the, the established law is says that your problem you you you're, you have a legal impediment to solving your problem right and as of late there's been a lot of issues with the process the processes of government departments various government departments um, and these problems are encountered by a wide range of, of folks in Cayman, from the large-scale developer to the little man um, who is trying to start his business. I've seen it all. I've seen people who now have thriving, small but thriving businesses who were literally blocked from getting um, a business license, even back when we had a business, trade and business license law that entitled them as of right to a license, simply because they couldn't meet some condition that was actually a requirement under a separate piece of legislation. And they, that condition actually didn't apply to that particular type of business. So we've had a wide range of challenges over the years, um, myself and, and colleagues who, who practice similar to me. And we, we, we obviously exchange ideas and talk a lot about this. And it is quite frustrating to watch folks come to you for, you know, pay your fee, and, and I have of late, um, uh, well, throughout my career, actually, and there's been many times when I when I I, I see it that folks are struggling, come to, to 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 me with a problem, and I can't help them. I'll waive the fee, or I'll say to them, I I, I don't feel like I should charge you. Um, you can pay if you want, but I'm not going to. I don't I don't think it's right that this country doesn't have a, a, a solution for your. problem in because that never ends well when when you have um folks from all walks of life you know coming to you for legal advice and you do your damnedest to help them mm. and you can't because the state of the law is such or not just the state of the law sandra and this is the thing that's really troubling mm -hmm. when you see, when you go and look at the legislation you're confronted with a problem let's just say it's a policy directive that's 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 the thing we're suffering from now i call it policyitis Every single government department has developed somehow organically developed the ability to promulgate their own policy. It doesn't matter what the law says they're supposed to do. They invent new forms, um, new processes. Um, they, 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 they sometimes it, it, it's just plain old obstruction mm -hmm. that the folks are confronted with. You know, you go submit an annual return form and you're told, oh, you need a cover letter with that. And the law doesn't require that. It requires an annual return form. And, and you sit there thinking, why is it that government continues to increase bureaucracy, particularly for small business people, right? And regular folks at every level of government. When others who have much larger projects, who are friends um, of, are connected to in some way, the government get you know, things waived they have a, 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 a special arrangement. Um, fees are, are, are um, foregone. And you sit there scratching your head thinking, who is the government really looking out for? No, mm -hmm. I can tell you for a fact that it was that's, you know, being exposed to that day after day for the last 10 years, maybe, that led me to this point where I said late last year, this, this, this is ridiculous. We, somebody mm -hmm. needs to and do something about this that's why i chose to get involved mm -hmm. in the political arena this wasn't 
a natural choice for me. It wasn't something I really aspired to do, but someone has to do something. And I felt yeah, yeah. the burning need to step up. And that's why I'm here. And let's talk about that um, burning need, Sammy, because obviously you have chosen to go against what many see as perhaps, um, you know, the Goliath of the political arena in the sense that he is the current um, premier and representative for Prospect. He's also an attorney at law. And um, I suspect that, you know, maybe you guys have had over the years experience with each other professionally oh, even as friends and the whole nine yards. So you've taken on the premier, Alden McLaughlin. And uh, tell us a little bit of why you decided that, Prost that Red Bay, my apologies, is the appropriate district for you right. to run. Um, uh, uh, that's a great question, Sandra. And uh, um, uh, as I've explained to many folks recently, uh, at the at the end of it all, and when you look at the bigger picture, Cayman is a very small island, and I have been one of those folks who, unlike the the um, mainstream um, political directorate, so to speak, mm -hmm. did not advocate on behalf of one on un single member constituencies the way we've done it in Cayman in particular, because I saw that that was a more parochial approach to to um, elections. And I worried that, that knowing the history of Cayman, and this is a lot of folks don't appreciate this, right? My, my grandparents told me about, you know, when they were growing up, you know, West Bears couldn't go to Georgetown, right? Certain West Bears couldn't go. We, ha we had literally some form of segregation. And I've never understood it, but I've heard enough about it um, to, um, to realize it it, it, it it was there. And I didn't want us to see us as a small, just tiny little nation descend into the kind of parochial politics, especially on that intense scale, um, as has been suffered by other neighboring countries. Let's just say that. And I worried about it. Um, so from my, I say all of that to make the point that we're all Caymanians. And we shouldn't worry too much about where your um, where your your candidate reigns from or appeared from or where he was born. Because mm -hmm. I was born in West Bay, but I've lived just in about every corner of the island except East End um, or and North Side. But what you should worry about is where his heart is, where his head is, or her head or her heart. Um, but the reason specifically I chose Red Bay was that when, when I was considering making a run in West Bay South, I looked at who was running there. Um, and I saw that there was two candidates already apparently declared. One, one has now since stepped out of the political arena. I didn't know that would happen, obviously. And I heard that there might be others. So I said, well, I, and I've been talking to a group of um, candidates, some of whom, of whom are incumbent. and. When I realized in, in those discussions that Mr. McLaughlin was going to go and challenge in Red Bay, I, I saw that as a travesty. Because mm -hmm. in my humble opinion, he's very much a part of the problem. In fact, he is the genesis of many of the problems that we are um, confronted with today. Mm -hmm. You know, the profound indifference to the outcries of the public not, notwithstanding the so-called great record for COVID, and I, I'm going, I, I intend to address that um, elephant in the room at some point. But when I saw that, um, 
and I considered right, that I was one of the many people who solidly, staunchly supported Alden's, McLaughlin's rise to, to, to political grace, so to speak, um, I felt the need to go up there and run. And, and, and before I made that decision, I started reaching out to folks. Others had by then contacted me to say that they'd heard. Others from the Red Bay electorate. And when I looked at the register, I was surprised to see how many folks up there I knew. So I started contacting them. Some, some had already run me from way back in the middle of this administration administration's term and, and um, were lamenting the fact that they didn't feel like they were being represented at all. After making those calls um, and consider, much consideration, I decided I was going to make the run in, in Red Bay because mm -hmm. said, it, it simply isn't fair to this country, not just the folks of Red Bay, but to this country that Mr. McLaughlin goes unchallenged. I don't know why no one else would challenge him. Um, I don't, there may have been others that were considering it, but I didn't, I didn't know at the time. Um, so that's, I, that's what informed that decision. And, and, and to backtrack and to address what you raised earlier, yes, at one point, Alden was a good friend of mine, right? I supported him, I defended him, and I, went, I wrote letters to the newspaper when others attacked him um, back in the day when he was, we were on, on the Bar Association Council together. He just, I think that's when he made his decision um, to enter the political arena. Um, I believe back then he had the best of intentions. I still believe he had the best of intentions back, back then. Um, and I, I supported him openly and firmly and fiercely. Um, but I have had discussions with him um, in recent years where I've had to indicate to him that I'm severely disappointed. I told him that in front of a group of other PPM members one night that, uh, you know, I, I felt, you know, really, really embarrassed and, and disappointed that I had supported him because he has not turned out to be um, the political um, uh, um, icon that I expected him to be. Let's put it that way. Um, but more importantly, Sandro, mm -hmm. this isn't, we shouldn't get too much into the personalities, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm able to, because of my training, I'm able to look at issues separate and apart from the people related to those issues. And I believe that's the safe, soundest approach that we should all take in life generally, but particularly in politics, because politics is a personal business and folks get easily offended and their egos get um, deflated and, and all sorts of things. And because of that, important issues get pushed aside in, in the debacle that in, then ensues when, when you know, two, two, two usually egotistical um, politicians collide, right? Mm -hmm. That is a travesty because what this country needs is people who will focus on the issues, people who will put their brain power in trying to figure out, first of all, what the problem really is. Mm -hmm. And just as importantly, how to solve it. Because it's always easy to troubleshoot, right? Because anybody yeah. can come up with a theory, oh, this is a problem. And sometimes the problems are so obvious that they're yeah. staring everybody in the face. We need to do less about the, what what is um, what the problems are, because I think most of us can see. 
and but we need to do a lot more about figuring out how to fix them and i'm not saying i have all the answers but hey i'm willing to listen as albert einstein said when you stop learning you start dying i'm not planning on dying anytime soon um although we never know when that day comes but i i'd like to to be able to share my knowledge and gain more more knowledge and be able to yeah, make yeah. informed sensible logical rational decisions because that's what the people in this country and and the people of red bay in particular need well sammy um you have a response from louis louis says sammy of the strength now uh we the people of the cayman islands will give you the support come april the 14th Caymanian for a better change. Louis is uh, living in Detroit. Sanya says, thanks for clearing that up as I too was asking someone why you did not run in your district. All the best. So it's a good logical question. Um, John on YouTube um, didn't like the term political icon. He says, God, these politicians aren't articulate. Well, <laughs> okay. That term tongue in cheek. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, Sammy. Now, I know you wanted to speak specifically, and we've been having this discussion with other candidates um, about the cost of living. So we want to focus our conversation this morning in that direction, um, if at all possible. Charles reminds us that it's the public's responsibility to go out on April the 14th and to do the right thing. So let's delve into the cost of living. What do you think are the top three contributing, of course, there's a lot more than that, um, factors to the what many consider the hyperinflated cost of living here in the Cayman Islands? Well, we, we live in an affluent society. There's lots of folks here who make a lot of money. And we're, we're, we're about to put out an article um, through several media houses about this topic. And I, I don't want to sort of steal the thunder that, but I, to, to just to touch on the broad points, I believe the part of the problem is that we don't, first of all, we have no consumer protection in this country. There's no consumer protection legislation. Um, and I'm not saying we should get very aggressive about that because I believe in letting markets sort of um, determine um, appropriate pricing. Mm -hmm. But but we, 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 the only consumer protection we've ever had is the price gouging legislation of late 2004, which government was was required to enforce or implement sorry um and enforce right after that that seminal event in our history ivan and the thing is about that legislation it, it is um precipitated by a declaration a proclamation of the governor of a state of emergency and even if after the emergency is lifted as it was when that law was passed mm -hmm. the government can then trigger that price control legislation to prevent price gouging by local vendors. Unfortunately, because of the way we did the COVID lockdown, because we didn't implement what the constitution required of us, which is to issue the, to have the governor issue the, the proclamation in the section 21, we can't avail ourselves of that legislation. No, that's an easy fix because any government you would think knowing that we're confronting something that's probably in the long run, although the, the impact is spread out over a more massive um, period of time, we, what we're confronted here with as a result of this pandemic is a much more dire economic um, scenario than what ensued after Ivan. After Ivan, we had massive destruction, but thankfully 
we had an in, we had the ability to draw down in insurance policies those that didn't go belly up because we hadn't been regulating them properly um but we largely were able to rebuild in record time because the country came together etc but we did have this problem with price gouging you know there was reports of things costing five six ten times as much simply because they were in short supply and people were desperate we you would think that having had that experience that we as a nation would have made been taken extra care to ensure that that sort of thing doesn't happen and it do, doesn't necessarily have to happen in one go there doesn't need to be a, a sudden price hike but it could be a slow insidious increase in pricing of regular groceries and commodities that puts a real strain on the pockets of those um, at-risk Caymanians, and there's many of them now. Those who are out of jobs, for example, because of the pandemic. You know, I, I feel bad for those folks who who are struggling, who have who were have been struggling um, generally, when, even when the economy was doing well. To you know, living from paycheck to paycheck, trying to keep up with the the really high cost of housing and the cost of living, the of of utilities, cost of groceries, etc. But I'm even more troubled now for those folks because they don't have the ability anymore. Parliament has been dissolved. We, we have not bothered to change that legislation, which I thought would have happened, that, that price gouging legislation. At the very least, that would have been some form of consumer protection. We haven't done that. And it's, it's, it's a real shame because if tomorrow vendors started to increase prices, we would probably have to recall the house to pass emergency legislation. Um, if the government were so minded, I doubt that they would be. Um, and that's a shame because there are folks out there and I've met many of them now, right? I've met many of them in the past in my office and in my, you know, um, going through the community when, you know, just meeting them in, in, in the parking lots of grocery stores and other places. And they, they people tend to come up to me and because they know, you know, look, part of a job is, of the job of being law, a lawyer is you got to be sort of psychologist, psychiatrist, general advice um, sort of thing you 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 have to give out. And folks have been lamenting the fact that we have we have no sort of control over the prices of everything in Cayman. Uh -huh. The general sentiment we know all know that we all throw our hands up and say, "Oh well, we can't do anything," but we could. We uh -huh. could if we had the political will to do it. And we could do it in a way that it doesn't damage the economy. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe in, in public-private participation in, in such ventures because guess what, Sandra? Mm -hmm. when, you, when you're as a country of confronted with social decay because um, folks simply are disenfranchised and feel disenfranchised and feel left behind by the government, you have unrest. And then I don't need to tell you what happens next. And we don't need to go down that road. Mm -hmm. We really don't. Um, so. That's one of the things that I see, the lack of consumer protection in terms of, of uh, you know, some ultimate price control where folks can be provided with the assurance that they will be able to afford at least the basic things in life. Uh -huh. Now, I believe there are other, uh, other things going on, and I don't want to blame the government for everything, right? That would be unfair and irrational. There are certain practices that we have as heirs consumers that have we've been sort of inundated with very strong marketing we need this we need that every every kid needs an iphone 
I mean, yeah. I fall, I, I fall prey to that too. Right. Um, maybe we need to think about, we need to start reevaluating. And if government needs to sponsor programs to help teach kids, even at primary school level, look, right. these are the important things in life. Um, you know, morals, ethics, um, you know, social responsibility, uh-huh. you know, value for money. Yeah, good. Maybe we, we could transform this place into something magnificent. And 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 that's simply to say that we are partly responsible. All of us are partly responsible for succumbing to the to the affluent lifestyle of those folks around us who can afford mm-hmm. to drive a eight thousand dollar Mercedes Benz or a hundred thousand dollar Mercedes Benz or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um we we you know. We simply can't afford to to keep up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know that term. Oh yeah. And, but we try. And it, we try. it's a good point, Sammy, because now I hear a lot of young people saying, you know, they can't afford um, because of the skyrocketing property values and so on. They can't afford a piece of land. But the truth of the matter is, if we were be- willing to be completely honest, the vast majority of young people have never aspired to have the, their first big purchase even be a piece of land, it's always a car first, you know? And then eventually they got on, if they maintain those payments and don't ruin their credit, um, they get on to wanting that piece of land. So you make a point that maybe we all need to start um, checking ourselves in terms of our, our personal and family fiscal responsibility to see how we are contributing to part of the problem. Let's just read a few comments here. So Jeffrey says, um, I've lived in the Cayman Islands for many years and I've known Sammy for all of those years. Sammy's a good man of the people, for the people and by the people. And he would make a great um, MP. So thank you, Jeffrey, for that um, endorsement. Um, Louise says, I get it. Politics is an unfair fight, but the truth swim like oil and has to be defended. Jeremy says, any plans for possible coming inflation in the U.S. and how this will affect Cayman? Any ideas on this? I have not heard any entity in Cayman discuss this. Support you 100%, Sammy. So we'll give Sammy an opportunity to answer that here in a second. Charles shares, um, we do need consumer protection, Sammy. We can't build a prosperous society by allowing the merchant class to keep their feet on the necks of the working class. Jeffrey goes on to say, oh, I think this is a, um, oh, we read that one already, sorry. Um, Jeremy says, wait till U.S. cost goes up. Those will be passed on to us even more. And Sue says, need reasonably priced homes for our young people to buy um, who the banks will give loans to, all these building here, apartments for the rich and privileged. So going back to Jeremy's question about uh, what could potentially be happening in the U.S., um, coming here in terms of inflation. Um, obviously, the pandemic has changed a great deal of things in relation to the world economy. And naturally, Cayman will be impacted by that as well. Any thoughts on that, um, Sammy? Well, we've seen a recent surge in, in real estate prices. First of all, obviously, the Cayman economy and the US economy are interlinked by virtue of the fact that our dollar is even pegged to their dollar. Um, so the, the, it's very hard to protect yourself from inflation. When, when you know, as they say, when the U.S. sneezes, we catch a cold. Um, but the, certainly, when when opportunities present themselves um, vis-a-vis the U.S. Um, uh, spending or investing, um, in particular in Cayman, 
like what we have right now with the real estate market. We have been inundated apparently with um we yes this is why you've seen this explosion of um uh condominium buildings and apartment buildings in Cayman in recent years because for the last few years more and more folks from the US are investing in real estate in Cayman. There are other social economic impacts of that. I'll leave that for another session to discuss. But for, for in relation to today's topic, the, the one travesty of all of that is we get stamp duty. We do, mm -hmm. we do, we do derive the benefit. That one one shot deal where we get an opportunity as a country to get um, a, a revenue, um, you know, and a percentage of of each sale is stamp duty. We, we can't. We're not allowed to call it tax. It's sort of a tax, but a one off. Um, but other than that, when you have that kind of demand, that, that drives the price up. We know we're now at a stage where the average cost of a home in Cayman is reportedly around eight hundred thousand dollars CA. There is no way that any any youngster, you know, coming back from college, start trying to start a family, um, unless they are, have one, one of those really really good jobs, which. Um, all indications are they might not have equal access to. That's an, again another topic for this mm -hmm. another discussion. Unless you're one of those chosen few, you're not going to be able to afford a eight hundred thousand dollar home, mm -hmm. right? And that is a scary scenario. And as more and more land is bought up in Cayman, um, we obviously have a lim limited supply. So getting that one-off stamp duty on that, and and uh, just pause and say right here, I am not advocating any form of property tax. I want to make right. that clear. Right. But we have to look at the simple basic laws of supply and demand. Maybe we should get some more stamp duty if if that is what it takes to gain the revenues. And I know you've heard a lot about how well the economy is doing, but the economy is doing well generally, but the economic benefit isn't being shared. Right? Mm. Not, and I'm not, I'm not going to say equitably, it's not being shared proportionally with Caymanians. Because as our economy grows, so does inflation, so does cost of living, uh, all those sort of things because of a number of phenomena that um, are well known to, to economists. I'm not an economist, um, but I live with one. I have the benefit of that advice. Um, we, 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 we see things getting further and further out of the reach of ordinary Caymanians. And that's a frightening scenario because in a country where you have more of more nationals, more citizens owning homes rather than renting, it tends to be a, in the long run a stronger economy. You know, there was this whole push in the 50s and 60s in the US to get, um, and, and developers over there made a, 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 a mint off of creating that sort of platform where. America, Americans could own homes, and then later on they came. They came the whole mortgage thing, and then we all know how that ended in two thousand eight, um, and it didn't end well. So we we got to have not just a short term solution. We need a medium and a, and a long term solution um, that conserves some space in Cayman for future Caymanians, because we're not dying at thankful at the same rate that we are being born. Um, mm -hmm. So our, our our population will continue to grow, and and I know there are some who are advocating, oh, we need to grow it to hundred thousand overnight, and I, I I just shake my head. I got invited to join a program to discuss that. Unfortunately, 
we had, they had technical difficulties. But I wanted to simply say, um, all I have to contribute to this discussion is that is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. I don't care who that offends. This, this notion that you can just, you just need to build it and they'll come and then, you know, uh -huh. you'll worry about how we'll fit them. Because when you look at the state of the road, I, I've been driving up and down um, a lot lately um, on, 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 on Shamrock, right? And, and I can tell you, the, the road to, to the Eastern districts is not a pleasant place to be either in the morning or the afternoon, right? And if that is where we're at now, and we are, we are constructing buildings um, which, which will accommodate not the ordinary Caymanians, right? But folks who have an income bracket that's well beyond what the ordinary Caymanian will ever achieve. And we're, we're, so the, the, think, the thinking is, well, it must be that those folks will come from um, abroad to, to live here. They'll buy cars, which we continue to import at a troubling rate, um, which is you know, always good in terms of when you look at the, the economic picture on paper, because you know, the, more, the more we spend, the, the better the economy gets. You know, we have the multiply effect, all of that stuff. But the reality is we are going to reach a point of critical mass where we're, this island is literally gridlocked, simply because of poor planning. And I don't mean poor planning in terms of legislative provisions alone, because we have, and I don't want to stray too far afield, but just so that you understand how all of these things are interlinked. When you look at the development plan that we promulgated in 1977 and we amended in 1997, it says that the principal guiding objective of that plan is to enhance and protect the quality of life in the people in the Cayman Islands and to promote the social and economic welfare of the people of the Cayman Islands. And it's not about bricks and mortar. It's not about architectural design. It's not even about in, uh, just infrastructure. It's about all of those things. And it's about how you control planning to ensure that it achieves that stated objective, that it benefits the people of the Cayman Islands. And I think we've lost our way there. And we've been, meanwhile, we've been, we've been amending legislation, particularly regulations, so that, you know, we make it easy and easier to build large developments without notifying people around them. I'm going to do a whole, whole paper on that. Um, and that's going to be a lively debate. Mm -hmm. But the way it affects us in, on this topic is, or how it relates to this topic is, because of all of that, we have been driving the cost of living and the cost of housing ordinary Cayman is up. That phenomenon, that great economic benefit that we think we have is putting housing, appropriate housing for ordinary Cayman is further and further out of the reach of them and worse yet, their children and grandchildren. And it's taking land off the market that we'll never, we, we will never be able to recover. People, once you buy it, we, people have constitutionally entrenched property protection rights here. That's another thing we need to consider. So once you sell it, it's theirs forever if they decide to keep it. So we got to look a little further down the road than next year's balance sheet. We got to learn to do that. And, and, and that's the government's job. That's not a developer's job. A developer's job is to make as much profit as he can from his development, just like any other entrepreneur. 
And he should expect, and I I know for a fact, because these are typically savvy folks, and they come sometimes they come with a wealth of um, knowledge and experience from overseas, and they know what to expect in other jurisdictions, and they, they know that it's very easy comparatively to get planning permission here for just about anything they can dream up. Mm. Um, and there should be a, a more um, balanced process because we have, I hear a lot of talk about sustainable development and there are lots of folks have lots of different ideas about what that would be. But I will address that and from my perspective, based on my experience um, mm -hmm. in a future segment. But cost of living is being impacted by that as well, that sort of mm -hmm. runaway model that we were, we were deployed now. All right, um, let's see. Sorry, sorry, Sammy. Sure. We do have a few um, persons who are commenting on what you have shared thus far. Um, so uh, Sue says, well said, um, Sammy. Um, Lily says, Mr. Jackson, since you're talking about stamp duty, it's a shame that stamp duty was increased to 7.5%. Um, for Caymanians versus four percent that was in the past, make it make it making it harder for us to who want to purchase property or piece of land and perhaps sold our property and want to purchase a new one. Um, Sue says that you can't buy anything under three hundred dollars. Um, I don't know what anything she was referring to. I think she's saying that every that's that's. Basically, anything of any any import at all. Any significance, yeah. yeah. Um, so she said, well said, Sammy. Irvlin um, says that one recent developer hiked up their prices by 200% after the sale of phase one, after they realized that buyers are most young professionals. Wow. Um, Anne shares that in the few minutes of listening to Sammy, he has touched on many issues that are affecting us. Great candidate. Um, thanks, Anne. Uh, Joy says K-Man is not K-Man anymore. So Joy recognizes the changes that have been occurring. Um, well, change, change is change. It's always going to be there. Jackie shares that, uh, is there any requirement for planning for developers to contribute funds for infrastructure such as road, water, schools, et cetera, improvements that would support the increased volume uh, that their development would create. Sammy, you are an attorney that works with developers as well as homeowners. Can you answer that question for us? Uh, absolutely. Um, I was working in the legal department, but attached to the, the Ministry of Planning, um, namely uh, Minister Truman Bodden's um, or he was, a, I think they were members back then. I don't think they've become ministers yet. Um, when we um, implemented the infrastructure fund fee, and that came out of a discussion um, based on advice that I'd given after doing a bit of research on, on the UK legislation, which is even the six to four, 1964 UK legislation is far more advanced than what we have. So I'd found this provision that allowed for development agreements to be entered into between the planning local planning authorities and developers so that over time they could phase you know with, with large developments there's usually phasing so uh, on, a, on a phase by phase basis the developers were would be required to build out either they would build out the infrastructure necessary and we're not just talking about roads we're talking about schools adding a wing to a hospital um, that sort of stuff 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and and this 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 is a big thing in, in the UK. Um, and after doing that research, I went and sat with Mr. Bond and said, look, this is what they have in the UK. We have to be find a way, the rich was being talked about then, we have to find a way to make sure that large scale developments pay, right? Um, for these things. Because I could see the problem after looking looking at you know the, what the UK was doing. That led to a number of meetings and discussions, and ultimately we implemented the infrastructure fee. Mm-hmm. We also subsequently implemented what was then section six of the law, where you had a special procedure for large scale developments, which were defined by that section, right? Apartment buildings over a certain size, hotels, um, large industrial complexes. Um, schools or whatever, right? A lot, they, all of them were listed out, um, and that criteria required large-scale developments to go through a separate but collateral process where the the all of the infrastructural and other economic, social economic impacts were evaluated by a separate board called the Development Control Board. No, <laughs> because we had a problem. It was the Dio Smart case, I believe, um, which I advised a colleague on when he was arguing the appeal. They, it was it, the, the, the decision was of the CPA was overturned on the basis that they forgot to refer the matter to the Development Control Board, even though it was a large development. And that caused such a debacle that a subsequent government used that as the excuse that on the basis that it was more trouble than it was worth to delete it entirely, it's gone. So we took a step forward, right, in terms of legislative provisions where we Mm -hmm. would have a a special process that evaluated how these things impact all of those things that the development plan says, Mm -hmm. right? Because we have three regimes, you know, of planning control. We have the development planning law. That's the principal legislation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. passed by the legislative assembly. Then we have the development and planning regulations, which are passed by cabinet but they have to go back to the LA for approval. And we have the development plan, which can only be, which includes a planning statement, which can only be amended by the LA. Although we put a provision in the regulations to say wherever the regulations conflict with the development plan, the regulations shall prevail. So what cabinet has been able to do is make legislative changes under the regulations, which are subordinate legislation, to undermine, right, or circumvent the provisions and the specific legislative intent of the development plan. It's a very clever plan, but it's a flawed one. And one of these days, someone is going to challenge it, right? And there's going to be um, a consequence. That will probably, again, once, you know, because all these mistakes by government ultimately translate into, you know, increased um, payouts, for, for, for lawsuit settlements, and we all know who pays for those. It's us, the taxpayer. Wow. So all of this, all of this, all of this legislative tinkering that you've seen, right? And that's mm-hmm. just that's just touching the tip of the iceberg, Sandro. Mm-hmm. I've sat and watched because because I'm not favored by the current government, right? I have been excluded specifically from the consultative process on any, on any planning legislation. Mm-hmm. Every minister planning since Truman Borden used to consult me about planning matters because th- that was my specialty. Right. 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 But I've sat and watched some of these things and scratched my head. And I know why they're being done. Right. 
and you can sometimes even see who they're benefiting, who they're designed for. Um, but it's uh, in in the last eight years or so, in particular in 2014, 2016, there's been much done to the planning regime that to allow the expeditious and, and easy approval of large developments by the CPA who are guided by law. They're not to blame. They don't write the legislation. They're just bound to follow it. And that has been, that problem has been exacerbated by, in, in the last four years or so, these very secretive development agreements that we keep hearing about, right? Only one or two have surfaced after an FOI request, one after a lawsuit under the FOI law. And when you see those things, you really start to scratch your head and you wonder what is going on here and why some, um, one particular constitutional commission hasn't looked into this matter. Because it's got to be some explanation why there's a, we, when you take a development agreement, remember what I said earlier about these development agreements that came out of the UK? They were intended to make sure that large-scale developments paid for the infrastructural impacts. We turned that on its head. We are now given waivers for large-scale developments on the presumption that oh, we get economic benefit from the construction. That's a one-shot deal. So the, constru and the construction firm involves makes a lot of money. And kudos to them, good for them. I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I hope they're good, honest Caymanians, and I know that a lot of them contribute to the economy themselves. But if that's all we're getting, right, because planning fees are waived and all that, then we that impacts government revenues, which has a consequent impact on um, taxation, you know, because we have that indirect form of consumption tax in Cayman. And ultimately, that will serve to increase the cost of living. Mm -hmm. Because then we have to import, we have to increase import duties. And what does that do? Make the cost of everything that we need, because we, we get everything imported here. So when you increase the cost of import duty, you affect the price of everything. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the big picture and you see all of that, you say, say to yourself, how in God's name could these folks actually present themselves to the public and say that they're acting in the best interest of this country? Either they don't know, either they're grossly incompetent, or there's some form of corruption, for the want of a better word. Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, and, and, I, and I say that, uh, and I challenge them to, to tell me otherwise. But when you tell us that, oh, we have an agreement, but we can't show it because it's commercially sensitive. Mm -hmm. Commercially sensitive, you're talking about public funds. Hmm. There's no need to wonder anymore, folks, why we why the cost of living keeps going up. And we keep hearing about, you know, the government has this fund and that fund, and these funds at their disposal and, and there's surplus and all that wonderful stuff. But I can tell you what, a lot of the folks that have been speaking in Red Bay ain't seen it. Right? Wow, wow. So all the right, premier's right. government is achieving all of that, then maybe maybe they should be. And, and, and I, I want to say something just briefly, Sandra, about this trickle-down mm -hmm. effect. We touched on this before. If there ever was a trickle-down effect, if there ever was a benefit from a trickle-down effect, what happens when that trickle becomes a drip? What, happen, what happens when the drip dries up? Right? Um, how do we fend for ourselves? How do we pay, you know, what, what, how do we deal with the socioeconomic impact of all of that when folks get completely frustrated because they can't afford a, have to buy a braided fosters? Mm -hmm. um, 
Wow, that's a lot to take in. Now, we have some comments coming in on WhatsApp as well. Um, so, Jackie, hopefully that answers your question. Um, Sammy's able to give us a bit of historical information on what has happened to that initiative. It's sad that people think of these things, professionals who have the planning experience, the legal experience, and then just because of some sort of political expediency, these um, initiatives that will actually impact the benefit of the people um, completely disappear. And, and this is why when you hear chatter on the street about certain politicians being in the back pocket of developers or, you know, getting campaign funding and being able to spend a lot of money uh, during the campaign season and other times to kind of buy people's votes, you, you almost are hard pressed not to believe that those things could be true because outside of that, how do any of these reversals in policy and lack of policy implementation really make any sense? So Sue says, if we downsize as retirees and sell our home by smaller homes, we then have to pay stamp duty out of the money we need to live off of. It's wrong. Um, Sharon says we need to stop importing Japanese cars that they refuse to put on their roads and develop the policy that Bermuda has um, on who can own cars. Now, Sharon, um, just as an aside to that, I do know that the government was working on some policy as it relates to um, these Japanese vehicles, because a lot of them are in most countries not uh, road worthy, if I could use that term. So in other words, they would not be imported in a lot of the different jurisdictions. And in fact, one of the reasons why Japan exports them in large quantities to the Caribbean as a whole is because they have very strict laws about um, how long, how old a car can be you know, certain model cars after three years or whatever, they can't even be on their roads. And so I was speaking to someone um, some months back who's quite knowledgeable in that area that was talking about um, some of the initiative and advice that he was giving the government, which was supposed to come down as law, but that hasn't happened yet. So I don't know if or when that will happen, that we can get more details on that. But Bonnie says to stand firm, Sammy, Cayman is a mess, poorer becoming poorer and the richer getting richer. Developers are getting all sorts of concessions. Miss um, Marva says, thanks Sammy for that statement. Absolutely ridiculous for anyone to build a $100,000 population without proper and workable infrastructure. They're crazy. Work permit holders should not have the privilege to purchase and import vehicles under three years on a work permit. They should purchase locally or utilize public transport which of course needs to be fixed. Um, that's my comment. <laughs> However, one has to also reconstruct, yes, their public transport as well. A hundred plus minibuses with crazy drivers does not help the roads either. Um, Irvlin uh, weighs in and Sue's comment. She says, yes, it's sad. And when you look at all um, that are occupied by non-Caymanians who just buy them for investment, think she might have been I don't know if she was referring to home ownership I think so um so Lily's in agreement uh, Morna thinks the one car per household might work and says we definitely have um no economic benefit it's sad for locals something needs to be done there um this is our home and our land a balanced model for sure um Sue shares big mess um hope and pray the people in Red Bay vote for Sammy Unique Ken Ken 
says that they need to find a solution for Caymanians to get a property over the rest instead of encouraging our young people to get a car loan first, which um, just only pushes them to be racing and causing deaths on the roads. Also, also minimum wage needs to be addressed. Thank you so much for that comment, Unique. Um, and, you know, the, the banks play part in this, too, because it's so much easier for you to get a car loan because it's one of those assets that if you default on it, it's very easy for them to liquidate and convert it as opposed to home. So there's a whole lot that goes into that. So Carlo, good morning. And thank you for joining the conversation. Carlos says the government has not, should not allow people in work permits to import cars. So that's interesting. Um, some people seem to be advocating for that. Uh, Sue's just clarifying that she's referring to homes um, in a $300,000 range. It's hard to find anything less than that. Yasmin weighs in and says foreigners are not human, just like you. Um, Jeffrey, um, again, endorsing Sammy. Thank you so much for that. Melinda says stop the big development in the Cayman Islands for five to 10 years. Here's a possible solution. No, no more high rises. <clears throat> We're losing generations of families from abroad who truly love these islands for what we love our islands for. It's beauty, heritage, and the people of these islands. I've had conversations with these families who, like us, are saddened um, the direction of where the island is going, uh, the island that time forgot is going, and uh, dot, 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 gone. Hashtag stop the madness. Um, you got a real fan in Jeffrey here this morning. <laughs> Jeffrey um, is coming across mm. as your campaign manager. Um, Marva responds to Yasmin saying, yes, foreigners are human too, like us Caymanians, but the purpose and goal of many of these foreigners, um, that come to a beautiful Island. We don't need them here. They are toxic. Oh Lord. Whoa. Um, Jackie says developers should absolutely make a profit, but this concession absolutely needs to be rectified. And these infrastructure costs are paid by the developers so that people don't have to, um, so the people, don't have to have the burden. So some good points. I Jeffrey, so. I think we got the message yeah. um, to vote for Sammy. Um, lots of comments here. Let me just see if I can get in a few more before going back to Sammy. Because at some point we want Alec to join us for a few minutes before we end the program at 930. Um, uh, so Anne says, anyone that talks the talk and with intelligence will not be on government's good side. Hope you get in, Sammy. We need the change. Okay. So Jeffrey also jumping on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeffrey, YouTube and Facebook. Okay. So here's a question. Is there any way the NRA DART deal can be amended? Government is losing a lot of money there. Um, short answer is I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. There have been many amendments, I believe, already. Mm -hmm. um, I have not looked at th that agreement. Uh, I don't know if it's all available for public consumption. And um, I would have probably declare a conflict. Of, but uh, because I don't know, I have not been involved in any of the, any, these concession deals in particular for dark. Uh, let's just get that straight. But um, I, and I don't think the uh, development deals are a bad thing. I think they should be open and transparent and balanced and um, that way the public will get, once the public can scrutinize them, we can determine for ourselves whether they are rational and proportionate and all that, mm -hmm. which, which our constitution requirement requires the 
any public official to act at all times rationally, lawfully, rationally, proportionately, and with procedural fairness. The problem we have is the process. And you know, I, I said this to someone the other day, when you don't get to see the deal, you know, the speculation is usually worse than the truth. So folks start to wonder, what, what's really going on here? Is this really, really bad? And you know, their imaginations get the better of them. Um, and and so we, my approach to that would be any sort of development deal needs to be clear, would have to be carefully structured so that, um, and, and done transparently where the, it, in the end it is published. If we're dealing with public funds, right? Um, that should be in the public domain. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that the public should not know unless it's a matter of national security. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As simple as that. This argument about commercial sensitivity is is, is just rubbish. Um, mm-hmm. But to answer Jeremy's question, I don't know. Um, and I don't know enough to opine on whether it's a bad deal or not. I, Based on what I do know, I believe there are many others that could very well be much worse. Mm-hmm. But we don't know because we haven't seen them. And I don't want to get in, into speculation, but the ones that I have had sight of um, are a bit scary because they seem to forget the whole concept of the um, separation of powers and good governance standards where, you know, you, you as a government, you shouldn't be given undertakings as to uh, the outcome of a, of a, a, a lawful process, um, which is performed by a separate statutory authority. You know what I mean? It's it's it sound it, when you read it and, and the government says that it will ensure planning approval. How can it do that? Yeah, that mm-hmm. that's determined by the CPA, which by law, right, is required to make its decision free of any external influence from the political directorate. We have case law on that, Frank Ebanks versus the CPA and the National Trust versus Humphreys. <clears throat> and we should not. Um, engage in agreements that um, d- implement measures that simply cannot withstand judicial scrutiny. Because someone, at some point in time, will end up taking a constitutional action, challenging the government, bring this whole thing to a halt. And then damages will probably be have to be paid because, after all, <clears throat> developers, too, are expected the government would act legitimately. So... Um, there's all sorts of potential um, uh, ramifications that, that flow from, from these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just say this, those who don't know what those things are shouldn't mm-hmm. be anywhere near a negotiation. You shouldn't be at the negotiating table because I've been there. I've, I've negotiated on behalf of the government before and, I can, mm-hmm. and, and I've negotiated against the government before. And I can tell you, I've seen people on that side and even on my side of the table sometimes and you have to wonder, why are they there? They don't really, literally bring nothing to the table other mm-hmm. than to make, you know, statements that confound and confuse people and, um, you know, pro- you know, provide certain expectations that cannot be realized. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 there's a lot that's going on that's wrong. Um, and as long as we don't know exactly what's going on, we're going to, we're bound to speculate. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. And I mean, Sammy, Sammy. sorry, sorry. Yeah. You got some feedback there on your end. Sorry. Um, even 
even in terms of, um, you know, we always say that about speculation here on this platform, you know, when we email government and we ask questions and these government departments or agencies or even the political arm of government refuses to answer the questions and that are pressing on people's mind, people are bound to speculate. And, and that's exactly, that's just part of human nature. That is precisely what would happen. And in many instances, like I tell people, listen, CMR might have 75 or 80% of the story. And we have been forced by the lack of response historically that we've gotten from government, which is often no response at all, to run with a story just for the sake of getting the other 25%, which 25% of a story, even 10% of a story can be critical. Mm -hmm. um, but we know the game. So we say, right, we'll put out what we know. And the second we put it out, then government is going to issue a press release. They're going to respond. They're going to do something. They're going to say something. And hey, it is what it is, a little bit of a cat and mouse game there, even in terms of news media getting information to the public. So um, Miss Sue likes a lot of what she's hearing from Sammy this morning. She says he speaks a lot of sense. Charles reminds us and reminds Sammy that Alden said that some people are simply going to be left behind, and that's just the way that it is. That's sad when you resign yourself to that mentality. <laughs> um, Lily says um, they want to tell us what to do and how to rule things. However, we're always looking for changes. By the way, I know this. I know it was a stipulation about work permit holders going fishing. Is this still in effect? I don't know about that one. No, but I, I think that's being advocated for again, um, and probably with good cause. But that's a whole different topic. And you know, under the, sort of the umbrella environment, I had a long conversation, a couple of long conversations, though, with folks like Courtney Platt, and he has a lot to say about that, and he has a lot of knowledge that I'd encourage anyone to listen to him. Um, Mm -hmm. It may sound like it, you know, some some something that you isn't important, but it it really is. Um, I I mean, we're straight off the topic, Sandra. We're talking about you know development, um, the impacts of development on cost of living, and we've gone a little bit far afield. But I feel obliged to say something, which and just because a couple of your viewers have said we need a basically a moratorium in development. I I, I want to say I I would ne never advocate that, and for the simple reason that everyone who buys land in this country, right? Um, under our registered land law, is has guaranteed title. Land has no real intrinsic value, right? It might for some investors if they're shoring up, you know, against currency um, um, de decrease in value or whatever. But land land's value is determined by its development potential, right? And when you look at the Constitution, Section 15 of the Bill of Rights in particular, it gives constitutional protection to landowners to, to be free to enjoy their land as they see fit, and the government shouldn't interfere with that, subject to certain legislative regime, regimes which are legitimate. One of them being environmental protection, right? So we need to ensure that going forward, development is approached in a balanced, sustainable way. And we need to take into account the environmental impact, the infrastructural impact, and the socioeconomic impacts of development in Cayman. And if we see that development is being done in a way that harms any of those things irreversibly, we need to stop and reevaluate and adjust. But we should not be, um, and this applies to the public transport uh, thing too, we should not respond in a knee-jerk fashion. We shouldn't become too reactive and say, Enough of this, now we stop. I don't want to see a situation where we have to deport cars or people um, uh, or, or to treat 
folks who visit our country like they're they're yeah you know some some sort of pariahs they can't do mm -hmm. this they can't do that you know prevention is the best cure at the end of the day we need we just need a little more sensibility we need to develop our infrastructure to to handle the capacity it has now and to plan for the future and in in terms of infrastructure i don't mean just building roads we got to look at we got to be creative we got to look at things like staggering business hours um you know addressing public transport in a meaningful way and if it's going to cost us millions of dollars to do that then but but it will save us uh, billions in the future we need to confront that and, and find a way to make that happen um because progress is inevitable and part of that is development and we just need to make sure that we don't overdevelop to the point where the whole thing collapses on itself if you're building you're just approving 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 development and you're not concerned with the infrastructural impact and part of it is the process because the way planning works is it consults other bodies, but all they get at the end of the day is a piece of paper, a report from DOE, from NRA, etc. And they look at it and they, they can give whatever we, they want it unless they get one of those edicts from the NCC that says they have to stop the process altogether, which is, again, something, a topic for a different day. But they, generally speaking, they're, they're, the, the consultative process at the planning level is a, a paper report is submitted. Um, uploaded into the, the online planning system. The CPA members read it, make whatever they can of it. There's no sort of interactive process. And I think that's part of the problem. I think the board needs to have people on it who have certain mandates, who have a certain skill set to address those things. We, we move past that point where we are talking about only bricks and mortar here. We're not just approving, you know, a little store here, or a little strip mall there. We'd be doing big things, massive developments, master plan developments. We need to make sure we have the expertise. And I can tell you this, a big part of the problem that, that planning has, I've seen this on both sides, is the lack of um, expeditious legal advice on certain matters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, that's another topic, but, but, but it all affects, you know, the policies uh, the, 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 or the lack thereof that go to address the cost of living. I mean, ultimately, this, all of this impacts how we, how we live. And not just the cost of living, Sandra, but the quality of life. We all deserve to be able to live happy and healthy lives. We can't do that if we're spending four hours a day in our car going to and from work. That makes no sense, right? Absolutely. Okay, we do have. Um, oh, I'm going to mute you for a second. I'm getting some feedback. We do have a couple uh, really, really big announcements coming up this morning. You guys are going to be tickled pink. Um, before we do that, uh, Sue, thank you for your continued comments. Jackie makes another point about ministers and not just about who gets elected, but who gets into a ministerial role. Um, let's have a quick chat with Alric. We'll bring Alric into the conversation so he can spend a few minutes telling us how his uh, meeting went last evening. Alric, good morning. And thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Good morning. Um, so I have a parole board this morning. It's, it's supposed to be my last meeting of parole board and, um, a little complicated because I have to complete a declaration of interest. So trying to figure out, you know, 
what do I have to put in that form if I'm going to resign today? So, um, anyway, the form isn't straightforward, but um, last night, I think, I think I had a successful meeting. I think that I could have spoken for a shorter period of time. But, <laughs> you know, this, this is all a, it's all a learning process. And you know what lawyers are, right, Sandy? You know, you get them talking and then they just don't stop, right? It's like, you know, I just asked you that one question. You didn't have to go on for five hours, you know? <laughs> so, um, yes, it's it's definitely um, definitely one of the things that lawyers tend to do. Yeah, um, so it's a learning, learning experience. Yes. And, you know, I'm taking advice on board. I, I have to wonder, maybe that's why I never became, well, in addition to it being very difficult to get articles, I must say, I, I like to keep it short and sweet. So there's certain aspects of the legal profession that don't, uh, <laughs> that don't appeal to me. But yes, um, I was there. Obviously, we live streamed it on our platform. I think you had a good turnout. Um, so it's one of, of many meetings. What more can we expect coming up on, on the meeting front from you, um, Alric? Um, so, you know, I expect Cayman Model to be covering all of my events going forward, first of all. <laughs> okay. And um, we should, you know, we should do some more of those and short visits where you do those endorsements for big companies. We should do more of that stuff. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so he's, he's being uh, very tongue he's being very tongue in cheek and let me explain because of course our listeners have no idea what you're talking about so yesterday when we did the um we did a quick video of um you know him just preparing for his meeting he happened to have been wearing a pepsi shirt which i didn't even notice i mean i don't go and look at what people are wearing necessarily, but he was. And so um, it, it caught the attention of, of a number of people and people are wondering, hold on a second, um, is Sandy or CMR endorsing uh, Pepsi Cola um, versus Coke or anybody else? And I have to tell you that um, I was a, a bit surprised um, that people picked up on that because I honestly didn't realize what he was wearing at all. So super interesting, but yes, um, Alric is just making a joke of, of that situation. So Alric is going to have a few more meetings coming up. Um, we will certainly advise our viewers of when those meetings will be taking place. And uh, Alric covered a lot of ground last night. I must say he was... Um, the history he talked, of Kim quite, quite some time, but he went into a lot of detail in terms of what his solutions are and what he's proposing. So I think a lot of persons walked away saying, okay, this is a young man that has a lot of substance to him and has thought about in detail, um, as Sammy said from the onset, finding the issues can often be easy. We all know what the problems are. Some of them are very, very glaring and they're in our faces, but finding um, solutions and solutions that are workable and that are balanced I think um, takes a certain degree of tenacity and thought that Alec has demonstrated from his meeting points last night that he definitely has done. So we got a couple um, big announcements here, folks. Um, I'm going to uh, share one of several announcements. So the first one is, I know a lot of you have been anxiously waiting for um, an opponent for Mr. McKeever Bush in West Bay West. So I can now tell you that this morning, Mr. Mario Ebanks has declared his candidacy 
for the District of West Bay West. So um, I don't know if um, Vanessa is here, but Vanessa has been one of those persons for the past several months who has been constantly asking, where are the people for West Bay West? Who is running against McKeeva Bush? Because clearly she wants to have a choice of um, you know, either staying home or and not going to the polls at all um, and not voting for Mr. Bush or voting for somebody else. So um, there you have it, uh, young lady, Mr. Mario E. Ebanks, because I know there's more than one Mario Ebanks in the Cayman Islands, has now confirmed um, and thrown his hat in the ring. Now we've known this um, for a number of weeks. It has been uh, as close as a well-kept secret as any secrets in the Cayman Islands, which means that it hasn't really been that much of a secret for those of us in the know. Mm -hmm. So we have known for um, from quite some time now um, that he intended to run. I think there were some logistics in terms of his resignation because he did work for the Cayman Islands Airport Authority in a senior management capacity. So he had to do a few things, um, you know, in terms of his resignation and so on. So there he is, folks. That's our first big announcement of the day. Um, Mario E. E. Banks says that it's time for change in West Bay West. And he is now taking on MP McKeeva Bush, who, as we all know, um, has been a long-serving MP for the District of West Bay for a number of years. I think he's the grandfather now of the Legislative Assembly, especially with the retirement of Mr. Eden. And Mr. Bush has been um, embroiled in a number of um, scandals over the years. The latest one occurring just a year ago in February, I think it was the 24th of February, where he assaulted um, a bar manager and has been convicted of several counts of common assault and um, you know disorderly conduct because of the profanity and stuff that he used against her. So Selena's reminding us that Sammy has an upcoming public meeting on March the 3rd at the Harbor House Marina. So all residents of West Bay, um, of West Bay, of Red Bay are encouraged to come out to that meeting um, and attend and get an opportunity to meet Sammy in person, speak with him personally. He's covered a lot of ground this morning for some of the solutions that he sees um, as workable for this country. Uh, also, you know, addressing some of the, the intricacies of where the issues lie. Because I feel like a lot of candidates on a superficial level understand the problems, but um, sometimes they're not always able to dig incredibly deep with the, with the problems. So I think that that's, that's important. So um, Sammy has really done, dug deep this morning. And I think a lot of you have certainly appreciated the discourse in terms of that. So we've got another big announcement um, that's coming up. Thank you so much, Selena, for the meeting reminder. We'll post that as well. Um, now, you guys know for the past, um, at least the past week, we've been teasing you a little bit in terms of um, something special that we have been working on here on Cayman Mall Road. And you'll be the first ones to see it now as we preview it. So uh, let's queue up our little video, which has caught a lot of your attention and then I'm going to show you what we have been busy doing.
Uh, let me share with you now what we have been working on here um, at CMR. Um, as sort of our side project, we have launched an elections-only um, website that is completely um, independent and um, nonpartisan and provides all of your information on your candidates. So I want to review the website with you guys closely this morning. It's been a labor of love. Uh, we have been working on this for actually a number of months, trying to first find the correct technical team to make it all happen and put in the various components um, of the site. It is a soft launch, meaning that there's so much more to come in terms of statistical election data and uh, lots more information that will be uploaded on the site. But here you go, folks. This is um, caymandecides.com is the website. And you are, um, obviously, we're all focused on Cayman Decides 2021. It's going to be uh, the Cayman Islands election website, your go-to resource for all election news and results. So we're two days away from nomination day, 46 days away from election day in 18 hours. And as you can see, we've got all of your candidates queued up here. So um, I do see a little mistake here. They've got Juliana O'Connor Connors North side. We need to fix that. Um, but it has been a lot of tweaking and a lot of fixes. Um, and the best part of this website um, is of course the fact that it has a, uh, an interactive map. So let me just, I'm going to message them quickly. Uh, so um, some candidates, obviously we are uncertain about their exact location and where they will be running because they're still flip-flopping all over the place. So there's at least one candidate that last night I heard that they are yet again going to be changing um, where they're running. And, you know, as of, listen, as of Monday, March the 1st, the metal, the pedal is, is on the, the tire meets the road kind of thing. They will have to declare exactly where they intend to run. Like I said, there will be some last minute individuals who will be um, coming out of the woodwork. And naturally, we need to know, you know, who those those individuals um, are, but they, they won't have a choice. So <laughs> they have to pay up um, by Monday the 1st and declare exactly what district they'll be running in. So we've got everyone here from Sammy to all of the progressive candidates, all the independent candidates. If someone is not on this list thus far, it simply means that um, we don't know anything about them, which would be highly unusual. Like I said last week, we were going to painstaking, um, you know, trouble to ensure that we knew who was running and who wasn't running. As far as even reaching out to the individual there, um, Mr. Mark Tibbetts on Cayman Brat, because there are rumors that he could potentially be running. So. Um, he has confirmed with us that he's not running, just like Mr. DaCosta in Cayman Brack. Uh, Nicholas DaCosta has also confirmed that he likewise is not running. So we tried to use, uh, we contacted the candidates for them to provide us official photos if they had them. Um, so for example, Barbara's photo was just redone yesterday. And so we just updated her photo um, and anybody else that provided a photo. If people didn't provide a photo, then we, we got what we could. So for example, here's Frank Cornwall. Um, Frank hasn't, you know, the progressives hasn't said anything about Frank, although um, it is 
widely rumored that Frank is indeed running. So unfortunately, we didn't really have an official photo of Frank, so we had to use what we had. He's allegedly, um, speculation, not confirmation, is supposed to be running against um, Kenneth Bryan in Georgetown Central. There's Miss Deborah Broderick, Renard, Johan Moxham, folks. You might be surprised to see him on here, but he is also running for Georgetown North. And his announcement, whilst it has not um, officially, officially dropped yet, it should be coming a bit later on today. There's Emily Ducou, who's running in uh, Georgetown East. And of course, we have Moses Kerkernel. Uh, the most interesting and amazing aspect of this um, website is the interactive map, folks. You can zoom in and out on this map. And whenever you select a particular area, now I know Miss Andine was actually asking me about this today. So it will tell you, um, say, for example, this is Prospect. All of the candidates who are running, so we have Michael Miles, Sabrina Turner, Dr. Frank Suarez McField, Austin Osmond Harris, and then you click on that individual and it will actually take you to the dedicated site for um, that particular candidate. And then it will have all of the information. So here's Austin. And again, we've said here, just as a note, that these are the preliminary list of candidates to be finalized on March the 1st. So here's Austin, and uh, he is running as an independent for the District of Prospect. And then, of course, you can read more about him by simply clicking on the Read More link. Uh, the individuals who are part of a party, it will then take you, so this redirects you to the LA website where you can read up about um, Mr. Harris and what they have on there for him. So um, Julian should be there. Um, so everyone that we know about, uh, Julian or Justin? Which, which one? Um, so there's Justin, there's Northside. Let me just go back here. Um, so yeah, all of the candidates are there. I think we have 40, I'll go back, 40 something candidates so far on our list. Uh, let me just pull up my Excel document here. It's well over 40 candidates for sure, which by the way, is a significant number um, Uh, yeah, so great. Our, our team is on it. They've already fixed a little error there with Juliana O'Connor Connolly. Um, let me just see here. So we've got election news and other stuff. Um, So that has been fixed. Thank you so much to these guys. It, the site might just be reloading since they fixed that. Um, so we are, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to this because we wanna ensure that this website stays up, especially election night, because here's what I'm gonna tell you about election night. The election map will actually be updated in real time. So I'm just gonna give them a second here to refresh um, perhaps from the server end, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be updated in real time. So you're sitting at home and you wanna know the real time results. Of course, you're gonna be tuned in um, to CMR so that we can keep you updated, but we will have an entire tech team in the background working on the map itself and updating in real time the numbers. So they will plug in as the numbers start to roll in so that you'll see um, a real time count 
of what is happening in terms of the district. So of course you've got, you know, all of the 19 constituencies listed here, um, Cayman Brack and Little Cayman. Um, so there's now Julian O'Connor Conley for Cayman Brack East. Um, we have Mr. Moses Kerkernel. They just need to slide his name on there, I think. But you just go in and click on this respective area and you will see um, exactly where everyone is. So one of the issues, of course, is people like Mr. Moses, widely rumored that he will be retiring. He has been silent on that. He hasn't commented. So for the purposes of this, until we know for sure on Monday, he has been included on the map. So a lot of areas, um, folks, you've only got two people thus far that appears that they will be running. So West Bay South is one of those. It's going to be a race between Andre and Raul Nicholson Co. Um, another area that only has two candidates, of course, is Red Bay, which is going to be, um, let me just find Red Bay. There we go. Alden McLaughlin with the Progressives and Samuel Sammy Jackson, who's an independent candidate. It looks like Georgetown North will likewise be two persons. Um, and the thinking really from a strategic perspective is if you really want to remove individuals from office, just like Georgetown East, it's Roy McTaggart and Emily Ducou. If you want to remove people from office, folks, um, oftentimes it is better to just have two persons going head to head. Because when you have four or five people running in a single constituency, you end up splitting the vote so much that a split vote tends to, in most cases, actually help the incumbent uh, routine his or her seat. So um, it also looks like Georgetown South will be a similar situation with Alric Lindsay and um, Barbara Connolly. Uh, same thing, folks, with um, Georgetown Central, if Mr. Frank Cornwall does come out, which it looks like he will be. Uh, you've got Kenneth um, Vernon, Brian, and Frank Cornwall Jr., both independent candidates. Although Frank is a PPM, so I think I got to change that. I don't know why my web guy put independent there, because he's actually a member of the progressives. So a couple little tweaks. Um, so let me just... I'm able to message them in real time um, to get these little uh, bits and pieces completed as well. So election news, election coverage, um, it's all here, folks. You can certainly um, check it out and um, make sure that you stay abreast. We've got 46 days left in the election. So this is a big project, folks, that we have been working on. Um, Yeah. So everyone is there. There's Raul Gonzalez for Newlands, Green, Stanley, Seymour um, for um, Bodentown East. So give us some feedback. Uh, like I said, we're tweaking it even further. This is a soft launch in the sense that there will be additional components of the website that will be going uh, live a little bit later on. So a bit of a, a labor of love, um, folks, that has um, taken quite some time to get off the ground. You'd be surprised at how much work is involved in just the map part of things. I mean, it's, it's crazy and trying to find the expertise all over the world. We had to search far and wide to find someone who had the technical knowledge to do it, but also um, had the time to do it because in the 
COVID pandemic, even a lot of web developers and so forth are in short supply because they just are not, you know, if they had office space and they haven't organized themselves since then, they're not taking on a whole lot of projects. So thank you, Charlene. Um, Charlene says, uh, good morning, Sandra. Um, just totally wonderful, excellent work. Thank you very, very much. Um, Elizabeth shares her feedback. So Sandra, you're doing a good job. Keep it up, girl. Many blessings. Thank you. Um, yes, Sue said she thought Moses was retired. Well, that's the rumor and we reported on it, but he has not yet confirmed that rumor. Um, we do know that he has been divesting himself of a lot of his, um, assets. And so we will see what happens from there. So Livia, thank you so much. I appreciate the support. And uh, Ms. Mary giving some thoughts to Sammy says, listening to Mr. Sammy Jackson really gives us hope and light at the end of the tunnel that we might finally find our way out. We've been in the dark for too long. And so it'd be a breath of fresh air to have a man of his caliber on board. Best of luck to him. So final comments, um, Sammy, on the program this morning uh, that you would like to share with our viewers. We, we are fortunate to have, to live in, in, in a country that um, despite all that's going on in the world around us, we still are able to function. We still have a relatively healthy economy. Um, and even without this pandemic, we have enjoyed a certain level of affluence that many other countries envy. Um, we just need to be careful that we don't, to use Charles's um, uh, comment earlier, we don't leave anyone behind. Um, we need to, government, Policymakers need to be able to implement policies that ensure that that there is a safety net for that mm -hmm. at sector of society, so that we don't end up going down the path of other previously affluent economies or countries where they didn't tend to those folks, and in the end there was social unrest because folks get completely frustrated, they feel disenfranchised. Um, and I, I believe there's a way. We just need to look at it holistically. We need to, to roll up our sleeves, um, call upon the, the brain trust of very intelligent people we have in this country to come up with solutions. I believe all of us are interested in solving this problem. We might have different ideas, but we should be careful to listen to those ideas, but, but be prepared to make decisions, even if they somehow might not resonate well with folks who we um, might have hitherto um, enjoyed a business relationship with or whatever. At the end of the day, it is no good living in a country behind a, 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 a wrought iron gate where you have to one, worry about when, when you go out or your children go out, whether they will, they will be safe. The, the, the biggest attraction for Cayman, for all these folks that come here to invest, is safety. Everyone that I've talked to tells me that. This is a group that I've come here, I came here, or I spoke to a gentleman the other night at a meeting. He said, I came here uh, take the, to do a temporary job, but I loved it. And you know what I like about it? It's quiet, it's safe, it has all, and I, I wanted to raise my kids here. Um, mm -hmm. So I stayed. But if we, we, we can't live in a bubble, and I mean an insular bubble around us, none of us um, thinking, uh, um, should think that we are we are safe from social unrest or or you know serious social decay. Mm -hmm. All problems pervade societies that ignore them. 
And we got to be able to fix that. We are small enough, right? With enough wealth around us, uh, with enough opportunities around us that we can, and, and enough um, bringing power around us that we can come up with solutions to address these things. Mm. Without, without reinventing the wheel, without taking drastic measures, without shutting things down, um, you know, doing a 180 and this or that, I think we just need some proper balance and maybe reevaluate certain things. Uh, and I think we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So someone was just asking um, about Justin Ebanks, I think, on the website. I'm just seeing him scroll across right now. So he's definitely there. We've got Kendrick Webster, Malcolm Eden, McCleary Frederick from East End, Osmond Borden from Bontown East. Everybody should be there, folks. Um, if anybody has been left out, it's simply because we don't know that they are. Um, they are running yet. So take your time, go through the website. Like I said, we welcome your feedback. I've um, got a question here from, um, let me just see. We have a question here from Damien, who also commented that Maxine McCoy Moore is supposed to be running for Kimberat. We haven't really heard that. I think she's a usual suspect in the sense that she's ran before, but there've been no rumblings of her out there canvassing or doing anything else. So a lot of this, you know, the candidates themselves have to be involved in the process. And like I said, I guess by Monday, we'll know for sure exactly who is running, who isn't running. So we can cut cut the fat and get straight to the, the, the situation. But Damien says, can your website have pre-polling percentage votes for each candidate in that area? and percentage votes from other voters in other areas who favor that candidate. Damien, that was a confusing suggestion, but I think the concept of pre-polling is a little bit difficult um, to accurately deploy here in the Cayman Islands. I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the parties have already, you know, spent a lot of money trying to do this, having people going from door to door trying to do polls so that they can figure out if their candidates are weak or strong or, you know, that's why Tara isn't running. Let's be honest. Tara wouldn't say that at the meeting, but we've told you guys that um, polls showed that she was failing miserably um, at this. And, you know, by the way, we've got an Instagram page for Cayman Decides and a Facebook page. So please check those out as well. Yes, Tara was was failing miserably um, in the polls. The the real difficulty is, um, especially with online platforms, it is difficult to control who is voting on those on online platforms. So, for example, Sammy is running for Red Bay. I can't control votes online for just people in West Bay. That's not possible. So that's the difficulty. Unless someone is willing to go door to door to door, verify every single voter, like let me see your voter's ID that you're registered as a voter. I'll check you off on the list and then give me your opinion and, and you know who you're going to vote for. That would be the only way to obtain that information in an accurate fashion. And that is extremely time consuming. And not only is it time consuming, given the short period of time that we have less than 46 days, it's almost an impossible task unless you have a huge complement of persons who would be involved in that. The other peculiar thing, Damien, about pre-polling is historically speaking, the polls have been wrong in the Cayman Islands. So pre-polling has gotten it wrong. The last election, um, the CDP brought in people, so-called uh, political analysts, from Jamaica, I know because they had pulled me in as someone, you know, connected in the community, I guess as a so-called influencer or whatever. And they wanted to have my thoughts on how the CDP was doing. 
And with the exception of the seat that Jonathan uh, lost to David White and Barbara Connolly, those two I didn't see coming. I got to be honest with you. I didn't see that those two winning, but every other seat I called with 100% accuracy. And they actually did not at the time, ironically enough, accept my unofficial findings um, because they thought that the CDP was much more powerful than they were with their slate of candidates. Turns out that they were not very well connected to the people. Um, so I, I say that to say this, that oftentimes when a pollster shows up at somebody's door, they will tell them whatever. But when you go in that booth, folks, it is between you and God who you vote for. And in fact, God may not even be paying attention to you. He might be focused on some famine in Africa and focusing on something else. And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but the point is, you know who you vote for and nobody else knows who you vote for. So I know some politicians in particular in West Bay try to strong arm people and, oh yeah, I know who you voted for. You know, there's something on that um, ballot that I, I know who, you no, they're lying to you. The voting system in the Cayman Islands is in my opinion, the best in the world. They go to large and painstaking um, steps to ensure the safety of your vote, to make sure that your vote is confidential and that all measures to protect voters, um, you know, has been deployed. Now, having said that, yesterday, the Human Rights Committee made an announcement about the fact that there are people who are eligible to vote in quarantine. And they have come to the conclusion that those individuals are disenfranchised and they should not be disenfranchised. And so the elections office now has to come up with a workable solution in the short space of time that they have to include those individuals who will still be in quarantine on um, the 14th of April. And again, you know, going back to the issues with the premier calling an early election, there were people who were planning to be home for April and had given themselves what they thought was enough cushion and enough time to come back, who now um, are not able to be on island to vote. And I'm hoping that they're eligible for the postal ballots, which now have to be rushed out, um, all because at the end of the day, Mr. Um, Alden McLaughlin refused to deal with his business in the legislative assembly and to take a vote of no confidence against Mr. Bush. And if he was so confident in Mr. Bush and his capabilities, I don't see what the issue was with the vote of no confidence, but there you have it. So Mario Ebanks has announced today. Um, he is on the um, on the website as well. Chris Saunders, Alva Saku, Alric Lindsay, Samuel Jackson, everybody's there. So Louisa says, that's awesome, Sandy. Now I don't have to have my notebook flipping back and forth election night. You're most welcome. Um, it's hard to keep up, trust me, with 19 constituencies half the time. I can't even remember where people are running. Um, so Heather and Savannah, Isaac and Easton, it's like, we're West Bay North, West Bay. It's like, whoo. So this map is going to make all of our lives um, a lot easier. Charlene says, so uh, my encouragement to our voters would be, whereas we have more than two incumbents, to so thoroughly research all, narrow it down to two or one and ask for God's guidance and voting wisely. And we need change now. Mr. Peter Young, I think this is maybe, is this the Peter Young? This might be the first time I've seen him on the program. Um, Peter says, I'm very impressed with the program in general. Delivery and content is excellent. Well, thank you, sir. Um, Charlene uh, says, go, Sammy. You're good to go. Praying your constituents are fully aware and would vote wisely. So yes, along the lines of what Ms. Charlene is saying, 
Um, you know, this is your time now to do your research on your candidates, find out who they are and what they're all about. Um, the, the ones that have a social media presence on the website, we have shared those social media links. I'm sad to say that a lot of them don't, but where they do, and let me just pick a candidate that does so I can kind of show you, um, where they do, we have listed all of those links for your perusal. So let me just pull up Alric as an example, because Alric does have at least a Facebook and YouTube channel. Uh, here we go. So when you go to this particular candidate, folks, you can now see there's Alric's YouTube channel and there's his Facebook page. Again, all hyperlinked. You click on it and it would immediately take you to Alric's Facebook page so that you can find out more about his candidacy through his Facebook page. And, you know, there it is, his meeting from last night. You can have his contact information, all of the information there. He also has a Twitter account. So I'll get that um, Twitter link added to our website as well. And uh, there's his email address, you know, all of the latest information. Like I said before, and I will say it again, candidates have to be organized, right? So Raul Nicholson Co., Sammy, um, Ozzy, these folks have websites. Barbara just put one up yesterday. She finally put up her own Facebook page. Now, I find that shocking as someone who has been in office for the past four years. Why didn't you have a Facebook page for your constituents? It's like having a constituency office, but in the virtual sense. Folks, wake up. I'm begging you to wake up. Now it's all being done because, number one, CMR emailed them days ago to say, hmm, we need all of your social media links because we're launching this new website and the vast majority of them didn't even have one. And we can't put it up if they didn't have one. You know, it's as simple as that. Get yourselves organized because if you can't manage and run a campaign, you can't manage and run your own affairs, what hope really do we have that you will be managing and running uh, this country? Um, Sue says, um, Karina shares a link. I'm not sure what that link is for because I can't actually click on it from here. Um, Sue says, uh, Mary Rankin, that's so true. Uh, Ms. Charlene, thank you so much. Says, don't fall for the shenanigans. So we know that money is flowing, folks. And for some of you, it's going to be very, very difficult to pass up the hard, cold cash. Although I'm telling you, as the cold, the cold hard truth, that you should do so. You should not engage in that style of politics. But for some of you, you may even be in need. So I am not going to necessarily sit here in judgment um, of that at this moment. But what I would say is if you're in need, you know you know the game, you know they're only offering it to you to buy your vote. Um, take the money if you're in need, use it wisely and still vote smart because that person isn't gonna be beneficial to you if you reelect them in the next four years. That handout comes normally once a year or at Turkey at Christmas time or whatever, or not even once a year, once every four years if you're lucky. Rolston Anglin. Did Rolston make the list? I think he should. I'll double check, but I believe Rolston is there. Um, Rolston is one of those people that has been awfully quiet. I think he finally had a meeting last night, but we haven't received anything from him. We've reached out to him. We've asked for his social media links and all this sort of thing, and it just isn't, hasn't been forthcoming. So um, if it hasn't been forthcoming, folks, then, you know, it will be added and updated between now and Monday, basically. 
So Monday will be the final. Listen, like I said, we'll cut the fat on Monday because I suspect there might be one or two people who've said they're going to be running and they probably can't even find $1,000 to run. So uh, Monday afternoon, we'll have all of the numbers and we'll get it up and, and running. Donovan, thank you so much. So CMR is up and running. Yes, indeed. Um, nobody else for Lower Valley yet. Um, so Lower Valley is Chris Saunders area. And like I've said before, Sue, and the show this morning, the only rumor that we've heard, and she's not in the website yet because this rumor is kind of like a half rumor, um, is Maxine Bodden. So if Maxine Bodden is listening to the program or anyone who's listening to this that knows Maxine Bodden, if she is running, have her send her photo and whatever else um, social media links that she has and we'll certainly put it up. So the idea behind Cayman Decides, folks, is um, nonpartisan. It's just information, right? Who's running? where they're running, you know, the whole nine yards in terms of that stuff, what they're doing and so forth. Um, and of course, the most important part is definitely going to be this elections map that uh, I showed you earlier, which will be updated in real time, um, definitely on election night. <coughs> Folks, that's all she wrote. I've got to go. I'm sure Sammy's got to go. Sammy, thank you so much again for joining us this morning. Um, we'll be connecting with Sammy in the next couple of days. Um, just another quick announcement for the benefit of our um, viewers. Please tune in tonight. Tonight is Friday, right? Um, tonight, we have a special treat with Wayne Panton, our Conversations With segment. Um, I think you guys are going to really find this one interesting. I found it interesting uh, conducting the interview. And so Wayne Panton will be joining us this evening for that Conversations With segment. Um, lots going on here at Cayman Mall Road. We're doing our best to stay on top of it. We have a dedicated small, but as I said about my daughter when she was born as a preemie, um, small but mighty. You know, mm -hmm. so um, small doesn't mean that you can't get it done. So definitely small but mighty from our perspective here. Uh, we're going to bring, bring it all to you. Melanie says Sammy is a formidable planning lawyer. His knowledge and insight are invaluable from not only development perspective, but from the involvement um, of our history and culture, and he would make a great politician. Um, Larry, thank you so much, and you have a good weekend. Donovan, tune in at 9.30 for the interview with, um, uh, with Mr. Wayne Panton. And we're gonna go ahead and put that up here in a second as a preview. So yes, everybody have a safe weekend, folks. Um, I always encourage you to please don't drink and drive anytime, but you know, weekends seem to get a little bit crazier. No drinking and driving, good folks. Um, be safe with the family, whatever activities you are involved in. And uh, know that we are working behind the scenes to always bring you the latest happenings here in our community. So again, congratulations to all the candidates who are running, who've come out. Uh, it's a big decision to step out. Don't forget, you've got 15 more minutes if you're a procrastinator to get your um, all of your stuff into the Standards in Public Life office. The Commission for Standards in Public Life advises all electoral candidates that it's now accepting declarations. In accordance with the Standards in Public Life Act, all candidates seeking election for public office must submit a complete Standards in Public Life Schedule 1 declaration form before filing nomination papers on Monday, March 1, 2021. To facilitate a smooth and expedient verification process, the Commission is requesting submission by 10 a.m. Friday, February 26, 2021. 
To access the declaration form and more information, visit www.standardsinpubliclifecommission.ky or call the Commission office at 244-3685. tuning in to another edition of the cold hard truth make sure to check facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at caymanmarlroad.com subscribe to our ig and facebook pages to get the latest happenings 